The Extraordinary Adventures of Arsène Lupin, Gentleman Burglar Madame Ambert's Safe At three o'clock in the morning, there were still half a dozen carriages in front of one of those small houses which form only the side of the Boulevard Berthier. The door of that house opened, and a number of guests, male and female, emerged. The majority of them entered their carriages and were quickly driven away, leaving behind only two men who walked down Corcelles, where they parted, as one of them lived in that street. The other decided to return on foot, as far as the Porte Maillot. It was a beautiful winter's night, clear and cold, a night on which a brisk walk is agreeable and refreshing. But at the end of a few minutes, he had the disagreeable impression that he was being followed. Turning around, he saw a man sulking amongst the trees. He was not a coward, yet he felt it advisable to increase his speed. Then his pursuer commenced to run, and he deemed it prudent to draw his revolver and face him. But he had no time. The man rushed at him and attacked him violently. Immediately they were engaged in a desperate struggle, wherein he felt that his unknown assailant had the advantage. He called for help, struggled, and was thrown down on a pile of gravel, seized by the throat, and gagged with a handkerchief that his assailant forced into his mouth. His eyes closed, and the man who was smothering him with his weight arose to defend himself against an unexpected attack. A blow from a cane and a kick from a boot, the man uttered two cries of pain and fled, limping and cursing. Without deigning to pursue the fugitive, the new arrival stooped over the prostrate man and inquired, Are you hurt, monsieur? He was not injured, but he was dazed and unable to stand. His rescuer procured a carriage, placed him in it, and accompanied him to his house on the Avenue de la Grande Armée. On his arrival there, quite recovered, he overwhelmed his savior with thanks. I, I owe you my life, monsieur. I shall not forget it. I do not wish to alarm my wife at this time of night, but tomorrow she will be pleased to thank you personally. Come and breakfast with us. My name is Ludovic Ambert. May I ask yours? Certainly, monsieur. And he handed monsieur Ambert a card bearing the name Arsène Lupin. At that time, Arsène Lupin did not enjoy the celebrity which the Cahorn affair, his escape from the prison de la Santé, and other brilliant exploits afterwards gained for him. He had not even used the name of Arsène Lupin. The name was specially invented to designate the rescuer of Monsieur Ambert. That is to say, it was in that affair that Arsène Lupin was baptized. Fully armed and ready for the fray, it is true, but lacking the resources and authority which command success, Arsène Lupin was then merely an apprentice in a profession wherein he soon became a master. With what a thrill of joy he recalled the invitation he received that night. At last he had reached his goal. At last he had undertaken a task worthy of his strength and skill. The Ambert Millions. What a magnificent feast for an appetite like his. He prepared a special toilette for the occasion. A shabby frock coat, baggy trousers, a frayed silk hat, well-worn collar and cuffs, all quite correct in form but bearing the unmistakable stamp of poverty. His cravat was a black ribbon pinned with a false diamond. Thus accoutred, he descended the stairs of the house in which he lived in Montmartre. At the third floor, without stopping, he rapped on a closed door with the head of his cane. He walked to the exterior boulevards. A tram car was passing. He boarded it, and someone who had been following him took a seat beside him. It was the lodger who occupied the room on the third floor. 
A moment later, this man said to Lupin, Well, governor? Well, it is all fixed. How? I'm going there to breakfast. You breakfast? There? Certainly. Why not? I rescued Monsieur Ludovic Ambert from certain death at your hands. Monsieur Ambert is not devoid of gratitude. He invited me to breakfast. There was a brief silence, and the other said, But you're not going to throw up the scheme. My dear boy, said Lupin, when I arranged that little case of assault and battery, when I took the trouble at three o'clock in the morning to wrap you with my cane and tap you with my boot at the risk of injuring my only friend, it was not my intention to forego the advantages to be gained from a rescue so well arranged and executed. Oh no, not at all. But the strange rumors we hear about their fortune. Never mind about that. For six months, I have worked on this affair, investigated it, studied it, questioned the servants, the moneylenders, and men of straw. For six months, I have shadowed the husband and the wife. Consequently, I know what I am talking about. Whether the fortune came to them from old Brawford, as they pretend, or from some other source, I do not care. I know that it is a reality, that it exists, and someday it will be mine. <gasps> Bigra, one hundred million. Let us say ten, or even five, that is enough. They have a safe full of bonds, and there will be the devil to pay if I can't get my hands on them. The tramcar stopped at the Place de l'Etoile. The man whispered to Lupin, What am I to do now? Nothing at present. You will hear from me. There is no hurry. Five minutes later, Arsène Lupin was descending the magnificent flight of stairs in the Ambert mansion, and Monsieur Ambert introduced him to his wife. Madame Gervaise Ambert was a short, plump woman and very talkative. She gave Lupin a cordial welcome. I desired that we should be alone to entertain our savior, she said. From the outset they treated our savior as an old and valued friend. By the time the dessert was served, their friendship was well cemented, and private confidences were being exchanged. Arsène related the story of his life, the life of his father as a magistrate, the sorrows of his childhood, and his present difficulties. Gervaise, in turn, spoke of her youth, her marriage, the kindness of the aged Brawford, the hundred millions that she had inherited, the obstacles that prevented her from obtaining the enjoyment of her inheritance, the monies she had been obliged to borrow at an exorbitant rate of interest, her endless contentions with Brawford's nephews, and the litigation, the injunctions, in fact, everything. Just think of it, Monsieur Lupin. The bonds are there, in my husband's office, and if we detach a single coupon, we lose everything. They are there, in our safe, and we dare not touch them. Monsieur Lupin shivered at the bare idea of his proximity to so much wealth. Yet he felt quite certain that Monsieur Lupin would never suffer from the same difficulty as his fair hostess, who declared she dare not touch the money. Ah, they are there, he repeated to himself. They are there. A friendship formed under such circumstances soon led to closer relations. When discreetly questioned, Arsène Lupin confessed his poverty and distress. Immediately, the unfortunate young man was appointed private secretary to the Amberts, husband and wife, at a salary of 100 francs a month. He was to come to the house every day and receive orders for his work, and a room on the second floor was set apart as his office. The room was directly over Monsieur Amber's office. Arsène soon realized that his position as a secretary was essentially a sinecure. During the first two months, he had only four important letters to recopy, and was called only once to Monsieur Ambert's office. 
Consequently, he had only one opportunity to contemplate officially the Amber safe. Moreover, he noticed that the secretary was not invited to the social functions of the employer. But he did not complain, as he preferred to remain modestly in the shade and maintain his peace and freedom. However, he was not wasting any time. From the beginning, he made clandestine visits to Monsieur Ambert's office and paid his respects to the safe, which was hermetically closed. It was an immense block of iron and steel, cold and stern in appearance, which could not be forced open by the ordinary tools of the burglar's trade. But Arsène Lupin was not discouraged. Where force fails, cunning prevails, he said to himself. The essential thing is to be on the spot when the opportunity occurs. In the meantime, I must watch and wait. He made immediately some preliminary preparations. After careful soundings made upon the floor of his room, he introduced a lead pipe which penetrated the ceiling of Monsieur Ambert's office at a point between the two screeds of the cornice. By means of this pipe, he hoped to see and hear what transpired in the room below. Henceforth, he passed his days stretched at full length upon the floor. He frequently saw the Amberts holding a consultation in front of the safe, investigating books and papers. When they turned the combination lock, he tried to learn the figures and the number of turns they made to the right and left. He watched their movements. He sought to catch their words. There was also a key necessary to complete the opening of the safe. What did they do with it? Did they hide it? One day he saw them leave the room without locking the safe. He descended the stairs quickly and boldly entered the room, but they had returned. Oh, excuse me, he said. I made a mistake in the door. Come in, Monsieur Lupin, come in, cried Madame Ambert. Are you not at home here? We want your advice. What bonds should we sell, the foreign securities or the government annuities? But the injunction, said Lupin with surprise. Oh, it doesn't cover all the bonds. She opened the door of the safe and withdrew a package of bonds, but her husband protested. No, no, Gervaise, it would be foolish to sell the foreign bonds. They are going up whilst the annuities are as high as they ever will be. What do you think, my dear friend? The dear friend had no opinion, yet he advised to sacrifice the annuities. Then she withdrew another package, and from it she took a paper at random. It proved to be a 3% annuity worth 2,000 francs. Ludovic placed the package of bonds in his pocket. That afternoon, accompanied by his secretary, he sold the annuities to a stockbroker and realized 46,000 francs. 